Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. I am Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries. Good morning, good afternoon, Yuri. Um, I'm Winfred Burns of pa- uh, Pastor Winfred Burns. <laughs> of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and once again, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight as we teach and preach the Word of God. Tonight, a lot of teaching, a lot of teaching tonight. Um, We have been engaged in a series from Samuel, and we've gone all the way through 1 Samuel, and we're in chapter 14 of 2 Samuel, and tonight's series Part three of the series, Just Like Your Daddy, Just Like Your Daddy. And we're going to do things, uh, a couple things I have to do tonight. First of all, I'm laying the foundation tonight for next week's lesson and also connecting to last week's lesson with um, just I want to show you something about hatred. And you'll you'll understand next week what I'm doing this week. Um, But anyway... Um, you know, and I know that that when we move into these passages, it takes prayer. And so let's start out tonight by praying. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you, O God, that you lead us and guide us by your word. We thank you, O God, that it's you who speak to us tonight. And so, Father, You told us to seek you, and we come seeking you in your word. We come asking that your spirit would lead us, asking that your spirit would speak to us collectively and individually, to meet us at our point of need, to meet us at our level of understanding. And then, God, don't just speak with us, but work out in us that which you seek for us to do. We need your spirit for everything. Without you, we can do nothing. So we ask in Jesus' name that you would take over this Bible study, that you would take over every listener, every speaker, uh, that you would be in absolute control of everything, that we would truly be fed from on high. We bless you and we thank you that you're not a God who we come to and you just say, go on about your business and do the best you can. But instead, you're a God who loves us and you care for us and you shepherd us through life. So we bless you and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as usual, I spend a little time every week just reminding you that your sins are forgiven. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't understand uh, that Jesus died for you, that God gave you a gift, and that gift uh, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he gave you the gift, his son, that, that allows you to receive eternal life. And you one of those ones are thinking, well, I did this and I did that and I've done this and I'm not worthy. Yeah, none of us are worthy. But God gave us a gift, and the gift is his son. And he sends people like me to tell you that your sins are forgiven. And that all you need to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Accept this gift that he's given you by believing and trusting in him. Accept him by faith. God's speaking to you right now, and you know what I'm saying is true. And as he speaks to your heart tonight, as he speaks to your heart tonight, respond to him by saying yes. Respond by saying, Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. And if you respond by faith that way, knowing in your heart that Jesus did die for your sins, and then, then you are saved. The only thing that gets you to God is your response right now, and it's the response that Jesus died for your sins and that he is your Savior. And you accept him. That's the response. If you responded by, by telling Jesus, by, by telling God that you want Jesus as your Savior and that you believe that he is the Son of God, then you're saved. And so what do you do now? 
You go find a Christian, you go find a pastor, you go find a church, and you you go and you tell them, I gave my life to Jesus. I, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and I've asked him to be my Savior. And they're waiting on you right now, and they'll they'll help you. They'll help you understand salvation better. They'll show you what you need to do and how you need to, to, to begin to grow in God as a son or a daughter of God. They'll help you. I guarantee you they'll help you. God sent them there just for that. And, oh, by the way, if you did that, I now have a new brother. I now have a new sister. You have a brother in Christ because you've been added into the body of Christ. And we, you got a huge family now. Welcome to the family. Amen, amen. Okay, now, we want to get into the word. Um, and everything about this section that we're going to is anchored in a word of God. Everything that's happening now is happening because God gave a word to Nathan through Samuel. To excuse me, to David through Nathan. That's what I meant to say. And we go back, and I, I I like to make sure that everything is anchored properly. So as we begin to look at this story, we understand the causes and effects of what's going on. And God is allowing some things to happen in the life of David because David opened the door to the devil. And we find that this key scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Look at what he says here. He says, the sword will never depart from your house. The sword will never depart from your house. There's going to be just like you brought, you killed and you introduced the sword into Uriah's house and killed him. That same thing is going to happen to you. Just like you despised God and stole Uriah's wife Bathsheba, somebody is going to take your wives, somebody close to you. Just like Uriah was close to you and you did him like that, somebody close to you is going to do you like that. And so what David does, even though he has the promise of God, even though he has the promise that someone from his household will always sit on the throne, even though he has that promise, David sinned, and even though God atoned for his sin, as we said before, David has to deal with the seed of his sin. What is the, what is the scripture saying? We anchor the lesson in that. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And what we're doing, what we're seeing right now, is David reaping from the seeds of sin that he planted in his life. First, we, for, and as we move through, we saw that uh, Amnon raped Absalom's sister Tamar, the introduction of destruction within the family. And then last week, uh, we looked at what Absalom does to Amnon because the word says um, when in, in Chapter 13, verse 21, when Dave, King David heard all this, he was furious. He was furious about what Amnon did to Tamar. But look at Absalom. Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. 
Watch this. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. He hated Amnon. He hated Amnon. That, that's where this question came up that I posed earlier in, in the day. Are you a hater? Are you a hater? Now, you might look at that, and, 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 and again, I'm going, to, I'm going to pose some things to you early on tonight before we actually get into the lesson, and the things that I'm posing to you, this question about are you a hater, actually is to connect last week's lesson to next week's lesson as we look and see what is happening in this in this what we call a pericope, okay, in this section of Second Samuel. So I ask the question, we the Bible says that Absalom hated Amnon. And so what we have to what we have to what we see is the seed of hatred that has traveled through David and is now traveling through his kids. Amnon, it says, hated Tamar more than he loved her. And now we see Absalom hating Amnon. Are oh, you see where I'm going? And so a question comes up that, that we as Christians have to answer. Are we haters? Now, the first thing I need to do is I need to describe what biblical hatred is, what hatred is in the Bible, because hatred has two sides. Hatred has a godly side because we're supposed to hate what God hates. Okay. But we're not supposed to hate each other. And I'm, I'm going to push aside the godly hatred that we are allowed to participate in, and I'm going to define hatred according to the Bible, and then I'm going to give you some symptoms of hatred before we move into chapter 14. And there's a purpose for doing that. There is a purpose for doing that. And so let me, let me, let's get right at it. Biblical hatred, when we talk about hatred, it is, hatred is defined as to be alienated, to be unloving, to be untrustworthy, the desire to have no contact or relationship with another. And that desire varies in intensity, but it's, listen again, to be alienated, to be unloving, to be untrustworthy, the desire to have no contact or relationship with another. And the question becomes, are you a hater? Now, that, 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 let's, let's just unpack that definition, and as we unpack it, I want to expose to you some of, some of the symptoms or uh, something that should make you suspicious of whether hatred is within you right now. And I, I came up with 10 of them based on Scripture, okay, based on Scripture. And I won't give you this Scripture tonight, but I'll show you what, what hatred looks like and how you can discern whether you are a hater or not. You might be a hater if, number one, you bear grudges. You open yourself up to being a hater if you're walking around bearing grudges. Number two, you might be a hater, and you probably are, if you are guilty of withholding love. Number three, you might be a hater if you are denying your spouse their marital rights. Oh, that, 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 hit somebody in, that hit somebody there. You might be a hater, number four, if you declare or designate people or groups of people as the enemy as your enemy. You might be a hater. You might be a hater if you disregard, reject, dislike, even if you have no plans to do a person harm. So if you're disregarding people, if you are 
rejecting people, if you are disliking people, even if you have no plans to harm them, you might be a hater. That is symptomatic of hatred. So it might be somebody in your office that you are indifferent towards. Uh, you might be a hater. You might be a hater if you fail to pray for and do good to those who declare themselves as your enemy. You might be a hater. You say, wait a minute, how you going there? I'll show you one of these days. You might be a hater if you fail to discipline your children. And by discipline, I don't mean beat your kids. I mean train and teach your kids the right way. You can hate your kids. and You can like your kids and, and beat them or hate them and beat them, but you're definitely a hater if you fail to discipline them. You might be a hater if you love evil, if you love falsehood, false ways, or you don't keep your word. You might be a hater. You might be a hater if you don't love your brothers and your sisters. And I'm not just talking about those who are naturally in your family, born of your mother and your father. I mean the ones that are born from above just like you are. You might be a hater. You might be a hater if you are guilty of bringing empty worship. What does that mean, empty worship? If your inner man and your outer man are not connected in worship, if you're singing a song but you ain't singing from your heart, if you're lifting your hands just because the worship leader said lift your hands and your heart and your, or your whole being is not in there, you might be a hater. You might be a hater if you withhold forgiveness. You might be a hater if you got a me, 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 forget the rest of them attitude. You might be a hater. I'll go through these again next week on hatred because you're going to see the manifestation of hatred on next week. But I needed to drop these on you this week so you could see what's going on in David's family. If you go back and review the last three weeks, you'll see that the seed of hatred has germinated in David's family. And one of the things that God wants us to see beyond the storyline is how we allow the seeds of sin to germinate in our lives. Amen? So now, let's pick up at chapter 13, chapter 13, and we'll start reading at the 39th verse. And remember, now, Absalom killed Amnon, and then he flees to his grandfather. And David longs for Absalom. And what that, that word, he longs, here, I'll read it to you. And the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. David's heart, David's heart was connected to Absalom. And his heart's desire was not being fulfilled by the absence of Absalom. And he let that boy stay there. But he always, it was always a longing in his heart for his child, Absalom. So, chapter 14. Let's read. Chapter 14, verse 1. Joab, son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. So Joab sent someone to Tekoa and had a wise woman brought from there. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and don't use any cosmetic lotions. Act like a woman who has spent many days grieving for the dead. Then go to the king and speak these words to him. And Joab put the words in her mouth. Now, so first of all, what Joab is going to, takes it upon himself to do something about the situation that was going on in the kingdom, specifically 
about the situation that was going on in the life of King David concerning his son Absalom. So what he does is he goes and he gets a woman from Tekoa, and he says, you're going to go in and you're going to present a scenario before the king. It is a false scenario. So this woman has to be a great actor. And he gets this woman, and he sends her in to King David, and he says, this is what you are to say. Verse 4, when the woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell with her face to the ground to pay him honor, and she says, help me, O king. The king asked her, what is troubling you? She said, I am indeed a widow. My husband is dead. I, your servant, had two sons. They got into a fight with each other in the field, and no one was there to separate them. One struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has risen up against your servant. They say, hand over the one who struck his brother down so that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. Then we will get rid of the heir as well. They would put out the only burning coal I have left, leaving my husband neither name nor descendant on the face of the earth. So what she does is she comes to the king and she appeals to the king. She asks for mercy. Hear me well when I say it. She asks for mercy. Well, wait a minute. Why is she asking for mercy? She's asking for mercy because the law is against her. Note, the law is against her. Well, what do you mean, Pastor, what the law is against her? Well, the law is against her because the law says that if you kill somebody, if you kill somebody, your life is required of you. If you kill someone, your life is required of you. Look for at um, Numbers 35, 16. Flip over there real quick. Numbers 35, 16. the right place? I wrote it down wrong. I definitely wrote it down wrong. Forget it. Go to Exodus 21, 12. That's a, it'll be easier for me to do it that way. Once again, I write something down. Go to, go to Exodus 21, 12. My notes are flawed. That's the wrong passage. I didn't want that passage. Exodus 21, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, son. Twenty-one. Come on, pages, don't stick together on me. Exodus 21, verse 12. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. Now, that's the law. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. Now, go to Deuteronomy 19.11. But if a man hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, assaults and kills him, and then flees to one of these cities, the elders of his town shall send for him, bring him back from the city, and hand him over to the avenger of blood to die. Show him no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. Now, so what, what, what's, what are we seeing here? We are seeing a woman who understands the law go to the king, and she's going to ask him not to enforce the law, 
but she's going to appeal to him for mercy. She's going to appeal to him for mercy. And I want you to pay specific attention to um, that passage, 1911. Go back to 1911 again. You'll see, a, you'll see something here. Um, and right here, and hand him over to the avenger of blood. Remember that, remember that, the avenger of blood. I'll explain some more on there today. Well, now, so what she's saying is that the tribe itself has told her that she needs to hand over her son because the law says that in order for them to prosper, in order for that village to continuously prosper, that that person has to die. So if they don't kill the son, if they don't kill her only son who killed her son, then there is a, there's blood guilt on the entire village, on the entire tribe, and that tribe will not enjoy the blessings of God. So that's, the, that, that's what's behind that conversation there. So now, let's go further. She says, let's make sure I'm in the right place too. They would put out the only burning coal that I have left, leaving my husband, my, my husband neither name nor descendant on the face of the earth. And what that means is, my name will be utterly, my husband's name will be utterly blotted out of the face of the earth. I will no longer have an inheritance. My family no longer has an inheritance. We cease to exist. Our seed ceases to exist on earth. And this inheritance and seed were very, very important. Go back to Ruth. Ruth is the story of a woman who has no seed. Naomi. Naomi, you remember what Naomi says? I left out of here full, but now I'm empty. My sons are gone. I got daughter-in-laws and nothing else. I can't have no more kids. His name has been thoroughly extinguished from the earth. But, okay, so now go to verse 8. The king said to the woman, go home, and I will issue an order in your behalf. But the woman from Tekoya said to him, My lord the king, let the blame rest on me and on my father's family, and let the king and his throne be without guilt. The king replied, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he will not bother you again. She said, Then let the king invoke the Lord his God to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction so that my son will not be destroyed. Does anybody see anything here? Do you see a parallel? Have you ever heard this story before? I think you have, but you just don't realize it. What Joab has done is he has cooked up a scenario that allows the king to do what God has done in the past. And now, you, now you're kind of saying, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Well, I'll show you. Go to Genesis 4. Remember now, what's happened? Two, two, two brothers out in the field, two brothers out in the field, they fight and one, kid, one gets killed. And now the other one should die too, right? Go over to Genesis 4. Let's see what happens when God himself is faced with the same situation. Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. When the Lord said to Cain, then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain says to his, said to his brother Abel, look at the scenario. Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Do you see the parallels? Now, God himself has had mercy on Cain, and rather than kill him, he pardons him, and he marks him, and he fixes it where no one can take revenge against Cain. So, and now remember, we've taught you already that David was a word man. David knew the word of God. And so Joab knows that David is a man of the word. And Joab knows that what God had, what God had done in the case of Cain. So what he does is he devises a scenario where he is able to go and, make, and have this woman make this presentation to King David, and David, knowing the word of God and what God has done, begins to do what God did. He offers mercy and not only does he offer mercy, but she comes back and she says to him, look, now I know what the law says, and I know my son is supposed to die, and I know that according to the law, the avenger of blood can hunt him down wherever he is and kills him. And David says, not so, because I'm going to speak a word on his behalf. I'm going to give an order. And look what she says. Look at verse 10. The king replied, if anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he won't bother you again. If they say anything to you about your son, if they talk about going to get you, I bet he won't, he won't do it twice. She said, then let the king, watch this. It's, this is beautiful right here. She said, then let the king invoke the Lord, his God, to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction so that my son will not be destroyed. She's basically saying, king, your word is tough. Your word is powerful. Everybody do what you say. But rather than you put this on yourself, sign the Lord's name to it. Let it be decreed in the name of the Lord. Because we know that the Lord himself has the ability to stop the avenger of blood. We've seen it before. We know that when they were in the land of Egypt and God set out to destroy all of the firstborn, he put the, the, the blood over the top. Those who took the blood and put it over the tops of their house, the avenger came. But it was the blood that stopped them because of the, what was in the blood. And so he says, look, your, your word is powerful, but sign God's name on it. Invoke 
Let the Lord decree it so. And so then he says, uh, I'm, still, I'm still at verse 11b, as surely as the Lord lives. You see, there's a guarantee right there. As surely as the Lord lives. It means to express the certainty of the promise to express the certainty of the promise that he has just provided to the Lord, to, to the woman, excuse me, in the name of God, because the king had the ability to sign God's name, because the king was God's representative on earth. And it was his responsibility to ensure that justice was given out throughout the kingdom. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground. Now watch that. This is the big switch right here. Verse 12. Then the woman said, let your servant speak a word to my Lord the king. Speak, he replied. Now, you would think that she got all she wants. That's what David thought. What does woman want now? But he says, he's patient with her. He says, speak. The woman says, why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? Now, if I'm David about right now, I'm like, what is this crazy woman talking about? What have I devised against the people of God? Now, I have just extended you mercy in the name of God. Because you requested it, I have overwritten the law to make sure that you have an inheritance, and now you're going to come at me like this? The woman says, why have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? What are you talking about? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. He said, you are willing to extend mercy to me, but you're not willing to extend mercy to your people. What are you talking about? Well, what David had done in not bringing Absalom back was he had cut the people off from their inheritance. Absalom is now the crown prince. He is next in line for the throne. And what Joab is using this woman to show is that your, your kingdom is about to go into turmoil because the next in line, your successor, has been banished. You are going to bring destruction upon your people by denying them their inheritance, Absalom. Keep reading. Watch this. When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Basically, what she's saying, we know Amnon did. Mm -hmm. It was appointed for him to die. Everybody going to die sooner or later. He did. He went the way of life. He said, but look at this. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. Now, that is a kingdom principle. Look, go to 2 Samuel. Uh, go, to, go, to, um, go to Leviticus chapter 4, and then we're not going to go great deep. You see, when there is separation, when there is estrangement, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. And the word said, the soul that sinneth must die. 
The word tells us the wages of sin is death. And so any time we commit sin, we separate ourselves from the fellowship of God. And now I'm talking about Christians. Man who is unregenerate, who has yet to accept the gift of God, is separated from God. You've heard the term, he is dead in his sins. But God is not interested in folk, who, especially us who have fellowship with him and who sin. God is not interested in saying, oh, you done sinned. I gave you a shot at it. And... Mm-mm, you did. No, that's not God's way. But instead, he devises a way to bring us back into fellowship with him. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it was the system of sacrifices. I told you to turn over to Leviticus 4. Uh, Genesis, Leviticus, there it is. It's over here. If I'm at Numbers, I keep going to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4. And Leviticus chapter 4 through Leviticus chapter 5 talks about how, what we need to do when we sin to get back into fellowship with God. And it was based upon what we did and the motivation behind what we did, whether it was intentional or unintentional, the type of offering that we had to bring before God to make atonement for sin. Let me just give. Let me just um, just read a little bit of it. Four uh, one. The Lord says to Moses, "Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, and then he then he goes through the situations. Uh, for example, at, four, at thirteen it says, if the whole Israelite community sin unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they are guilty." When they become aware of the sin they committed, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting, the elders and blah, 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 blah. You see, there was a presentation of an offering to atone for the sin. And you, if you read through uh, Leviticus chapter 4 and Leviticus chapter 5, you'll see all of the, uh, all of the machinations. It's also over in Deuteronomy um, where the, the, pres- the prescription for... Uh, what you were to do if you sinned and had broken fellowship with God. In the New Testament, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. You see, because Jesus dies for our sins. That's why there's no longer a system of sacrifice, but God makes a way. You see, he said he's not willing that any should perish. That's what the word says. He says God is not willing that any should perish. That all, he, how does it say? God wants everyone to come to a, a repentance. He he's not willing that any should perish. God is not interested in anyone in the world perishing. He's interested in all coming to repentance. And so he, pres- he figured out a way to close the separation between us and him due to the sin. Namely, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins once for all. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Just show you real quick. Hebrews 10. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just read a, a little bit of this. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Remember what we said about the sacrificial system? That sacrificial system allowed you to draw near to worship, but every time you sinned, you had to come up with a sacrifice. And that showed the weakness of the law, the Old Testament system. It says, for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. can never put you in a position where you are permanently clean so you can always come into the presence of God. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshiper 
would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. You hear me say? And by that will... The will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered us, or had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus offers himself as the complete sacrifice for sin once and for all. This was God's plan. Notice what he said, by verse 10, and by that will, it was the will of God. What, what's happening here in 2 Samuel is it is, is being it has been revealed to us. What does he say? He says, God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. And we see God's plan executed for us through Jesus Christ. Wow. Verse 15. I'm back in 2 Samuel now. Verse 15, and now I have come to say this to my Lord the King, because the people have made me afraid. Your servant thought, I will speak to the King, perhaps he will do what his servant asks. Perhaps the King will agree to deliver his servant from the hand of the man who is trying to cut off both me and my son." from the inheritance God gave us. And now your servant says, may the word of my Lord the King bring me rest. For my Lord the King is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. May the Lord your God be with you. So what's she saying here? She's saying this. She says, look. She says, Folk didn't believe, folk don't believe that I could come in here and get this mercy. They said that you, uh, you, you're a king who follows the law. And that if I came in here and petitioned you to bring Absalom back, that you, you would say no. Because you follow but what was revealed in you was a way and a revelation of God beyond the law that gets to mercy. You see, when we study this passage, the thing that we need to see more than anything else is the mercy of God. We need to see that God implements the law but God is a merciful God, and he is looking for ways to bring back the estranged. He is looking to show his love. We saw, we saw the love shown in David early on when, when David, after the kingdom was settled, asked the question, is there anybody that I could show goodness to 
for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show goodness to because of the covenant relationship that I have with Jonathan? And God looks now, and he and what is pointed out to David through this woman from Tekoa is that God is a God who looks for an opportunity to bring back, to bring back those who have been estranged. What does that mean to us tonight? There are many of us who have been estranged from each other. From God, and we're and, and and you know in exile. There are many people that used to be, that used to be sitting right beside us, fellowshipping with us Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, who are now estranged from the house of God, and they might have left. They might might have left the church or might have left God under a cloud. They might have done something wrong. And we have a tendency in the house of God to write folk like that off. Oh, well, they weren't with us, no way. But that's not the feeling of God. Well, they did something so wrong and so egregious that, that they just need to stay out there in the world. That's not the way of God. That's the way of a hater. And God does not hate God loves, and he looks for a way to bring them back into fellowship. And the way that they come back into fellowship is us extending love toward them. Thus, us going out saying, you know what, uh, you need to come on home. Us going out to them, and, and you know, when, when a person has been kicked out the church or, or dis, it seemed like they dismissed themselves from the church, uh, and they, they shame or the wrong that they did, and so they just going back out into the world. When they see you coming, they want to hide because the first thing that we think that they think, oh, he he coming, he know what I did wrong, and he finna judge me. Oh no, they're looking for somebody to come. What they really need is for somebody to come and show them God all over again, and show them the love and embrace them. Ooh, girl, I miss you. I miss fellowshipping with you. But I can't go back there no more. Why? Oh, girl, I know what you did. That don't mean nothing. I did stuff too. But God don't, God's not judging you like that. He's not looking for a way to keep you estranged. He's looking for a way for you to come back. Come on. Come on, go back with me and sit with me. You see, God is looking for us to do what Joab does. Because what, look, look, because what the devil wants to happen is the devil desires to cut you off from your inheritance. Did you hear that? It is Satan's way. Satan, the author of hatred, is trying to cut you off because of an offense. You did it, or they did it, or whoever did it. That offense should not cut you off, and you should not participate in anything that cuts you off, cuts off the people of God or anyone from coming to God. Instead, it's our job to show the love of God. Verse 12, and now your servant says, may the word of my Lord the King bring me rest. For my Lord the King is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. May the Lord your God be with you. Then the king said to the woman, Do not keep from me the answer to what I am going to ask you. Let my Lord the King speak, the woman said. The king asked, Isn't the hand of Joab with you in all of this? The woman answered, As surely as you live, my Lord. No one can turn to the right or to the left from anything my lord the king says. Yes, it was your servant Joab who instructed me to do this and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. Your servant Joab did this to change the present situation. That's what I'm talking about. 
We have to intercede to change the present situation. We have to intercede to turn that thing around. We have to intercede to keep people and even ourselves from moving away from God and change the situation by showing the love of God that causes them to be attracted back into God. Amen? Yes, it was your servant Job who instructed me to do this and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. Your servant Joab did this to change the present situation. My Lord is wisdom like that of an angel of God. He knows everything that happens in the land. The king said to Joab, very well, I will do it. Go bring back the young man, Absalom. Joab fell with his face to the ground to pay him honor and blessed the king. Joab said, today your servant knows that he has found favor in your eyes, my lord the king, because the king has granted his servant's request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. And I want to stop right there. I want to stop right there. Verse 24. So what's happened? What do we do when we get to a point that we do the will of God. When we intercede, we reconnect with their inheritance. We, don't, we do the work of the Lord to make sure that there is continuity in the inheritance. When we go out to sinners who don't know that they have been forgiven, and we witness to them and tell them about the plan that God has for, that changes their current situation, what we do is we reconnect them to their inheritance in God. God, didn't wish, God doesn't wish that any should perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We connect them to God's initial purpose in their lives. Even when we sin and are disconnected from fellowship, God is looking for a way to bring us back into fellowship with him to bring us back to our intended inheritance. Well, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. We'll pick up at verse 24 next week. We'll pick right up at verse 24 next week. We see what, what the, this was all about, about bringing the people back into their inheritance. And let's just take a, a real quick moment to have a word of prayer. God, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you and we praise you for your word that shows us that we're not to be haters, but to participate in extending the love and working with the plan that you have that brings us into redemption, salvation, and everlasting life with you. We thank you, O oh God, that, that you give us this word and that you show your love and that you, God, will supersede the law, that you will set the law aside and you will devise and make a way for us to receive your love by extending mercy and grace to us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you. We bless you and we praise you for all that you do. Now let this word resonate in our hearts and minds. Let this word dwell richly within us. Let this word be worked out of us as we go and do a bidding advance your kingdom. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it for this week. We pray that you have been blessed of the Lord in this, uh, in this teaching. And same time next week. Uh, we will be back 
to continue with the word on Wednesday from Second Samuel uh, chapter 14 as we continue in our series, Just Like Your Daddy. Bless you. Have a wonderful evening.